This is Grinding the Data. Thank you so much for being on here with us. Um, if you're new with us, my name is Kevin Scott, and this is the first in our off-season podcast like expert series. It's still a, a young podcast, kind of getting rolling here, and um, typically we look at data and some things uh, that are that'll help you week to week win your fantasy matchups. This this expert series is kind of kind of zoom out and pick the brain of some experts in the in the in the space, whether it's players or analysts or both. And just kind of learn about their process, their strategy, how they feel like things have shifted this year into next year, uh, and what we can learn from all that. And so today we have our first, the first ever guest to uh, grinding the data, Abib Agbatoba. Welcome, sir. Uh, Kevin, thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, uh, feel ecstatic to be here. Uh, season's almost done, but uh, as we, as you know, football never stops. The That's right. Never stops. Yeah, and, and in case you don't know who Abib is. First of all, is awesome is an awesome guy, one of the nicest guys I've met through fantasy. It's been a privilege to kind of have a friendship over the past year or two. He's also a very busy surgeon in Texas. Uh, <laughs> definitely a smart guy, also funny, cool, which you know isn't always the case for doctors, I assume. Um, <laughs> but has has a playful approach to fantasy. As we've talked through drafts and strategy, um, man, I've something I've noticed about your your fantasy game is that you're just always experimenting, always willing to try something new sort of work the angles i remember the first draft we had together this year you were like yeah i'm gonna try kelsey and then six backs in a row like <laughs> i think that might work <laughs> i'm like like you've already thought through this and you know what you're gonna do here that's fascinating and you did and unfortunately you hit a few guys that were out for the season yeah. you know, but still you took me out in that playoff so it, it's painful <laughs> uh, clearly he's he's good uh he's taken me out several times but i beat him a couple times but yep. you know i think you got a yep. winning record against me most thing that Abib is known for, though, is winning the Football Guys Championship twice in a row, which is something that's never been done, never will be done again. Probably had to beat 13,000 other teams twice in a row. So quite a quite an accomplishment. I think a lot of people are probably curious since, you know, we're just starting this offseason, how this season went for you. A lot of people I saw reaching out to you say, is the three-peat going to happen? Uh, <laughs> how, how did things turn out for you this year? Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, it was, it was okay. It was, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, uh, an up and down year, uh, I think for the most part, you know, pretty much a wash. Uh, obviously, you know, with the amount of success that I've been fortunate to have over the last few years, uh, pretty much anything outside of winning it all was going to be, you know, uh, somewhat of a disappointment. So, and you know, even last year, I you, you just have to understand like how much goes in to be able to win. And yeah, you know, you draft a great team, you manage waivers, you make some, you know, right start sit decisions, but a tremendous amount of just kind of, you know, luck and, and just things that are completely out of your control uh, need to happen for you to, uh, to, to kind of reach that spot. So uh, I can't be obviously too upset for uh, not winning it this year, but um, I think, you know, all in all, I think I had, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, you know, slightly over 50 plus teams and uh, about 20 of those uh, in there, you know, we're in the uh, football guys. So really all you want is as many, many bullets as possible right. in that tournament. And then whatever happens, happens. I mean, you know, Burrow and Chase weren't, you know, uh, all-stars uh, and they weren't, uh, you know, uh, dominating before entering that tournament, but they had just an amazing three-week stretch. And so that's just kind of what you're hoping for is just to kind of have enough, you know, have one of those or two of those uh, players that really go off that last three weeks. But, you know, uh, being able to play and, you know, just, you know, you know, coming close to breaking even or breaking even or just like slightly above even, like, 
I'll take that any year uh, because yeah. it's just so much fun. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's it's 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 like fun. free entertainment at that point. Yeah, if you make absolutely. money at it, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's cool. Well, uh, yeah, it was. I, I've mentioned on here on the podcast and on Twitter, one of my hardest years ever. I think there was so much that went into that, but you know, so much of it was the COVID stuff and the injuries that were a little extra, and and even like you said, some of the guys that went off in the end uh, were terrible during the season. So you, you might have drafted those guys. That, that's what made those people who won the championship. It's going to be a fascinating thing to look back at. How did they do it? Because you had to almost either just hit on the perfect, you know, threading the needle kind of thing, or you have enough guys from who who was hot and then who got hot late that you kind of patch it together. So it'll be interesting to look at that. So we're going to jump in here to some of these main topics of discussion, and um, we're going to we won't talk about all these questions that I sent you, but we'll we'll jump into however many we can, and I'm going to discuss these with several other experts in the space and just kind of see uh, where it takes us. Um, so the first question I wanted to ask you about is as you sort of you know like you were just talking about who kind of would have made it this year, but as you look at your leagues or just, you know, you've, you've seen other leagues and studied that, what do you think the primary reason that most uh, 21, 2021 championship teams won? Like, do you think it was a great draft? Do you think it was, you know, just good luck with COVID stuff or waiver wire? Kind of what do you think was a main factor there? Yeah. Uh, so I guess as I answer this, I'm going to exclude the uh, large field tournament aspect of things and just kind of look at, you know, just the primary league. So even if you were in a high stakes, just winning your league, you know, I think if you won your league, uh, you probably didn't necessarily have to have a great draft, uh, given all the injuries that occurred, uh, and given how some of the, you know, there were a handful of players that just really exceeded expectations that you were able to get in the mid to later rounds. So, I think if you uh, were fortunate enough, either you were on or or that you know a player fell to you, you just decided to take them just because you know best available. If you ended up with guys like Cup, Debo, or some combination of. Uh, I think that really sets you apart. Being able to get guys like that who can really produce uh, at first round value mm -hmm. uh, in rounds five and later is, is such an advantage over the field. So that that, that that's one. Uh, I think the second thing, especially uh, in this year where, like you mentioned before, COVID, uh, the amount of injuries that were piling up and just, I mean, they were just, you know, some wild things that happened. Uh, I think, being able to manage waivers appropriately was very, very uh, important this year, more so than I can remember uh, in years past. Uh, and deciding which players to hold on to uh, and sort of kind of ride it out versus which players to drop, which players to take a chance on. Uh, you know, we saw guys like Ron Ross A. Brown who didn't do anything for, you know, uh, for much of the year and then really came on strong and ended up being a league winner. And those decisions, those, you know, uh, you know, whether or not you're going to take a shot on those types of players that is a very, very tough, uh, uh, you know, sort of kind of a tough thought process to go through as you're constructing your team, especially if it's a short benched uh, league. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I think getting some value guys in the mid rounds, managing waivers appropriately and hitting on some of those key guys and, you know, and just grinding uh, the waiver wire is likely what uh, ended up. Uh, getting uh, many of us uh, championships or uh, costing many of us championships, uh, you know, <laughs> looking at the contrast of that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to say that, you know, if you didn't get one of those uh, players that turned into a huge value, it would have been difficult to win your league, right? I mean, if you didn't get Cup or, or Debo or, um, you know, a, a tight end, some of those guys that outperformed mm -hmm. expectations that, it, it, you know, I don't know how you would win it. 
and like you said, maybe you hit hit on the all the waiver wire work. Uh, if you if you hit on Elijah Mitchell, but you didn't pick up the Ravens backs that all yeah. crapped out, and you picked up the you know the right like you're saying rookie receiver, but not the wrong one like a you know Terrace Marshall, whoever else got dropped. Yeah, it's just a really uh, there were a lot of landmines out there. So yeah, it it seems like it was uh, you had to kind of put everything together this year to win yeah. win any league. And I felt like this year, uh, and, and every year is unique, and you know sometimes you know maybe a little bit of recency bias, but I really try to, I really try to kind of remove myself from what happened last week or you know what recently happened, and and really try to you know take a look from you know, you know a high you know you know thirty foot view to to try and get a good sense of what was going on. But I felt like this year, when it came to the amount of coaching changes, head coaches, offensive, defensive coordinators, uh, the amount of player changes, uh, the injuries preseason, uh, and the specifically the influx of talent uh, from the collegiate level that you know were immediately thrusted into starting roles. There was just a lot of unknown, uh, mm-hmm. and so those first few weeks of the season were so important to try to figure out what was going on. But then you had to quickly adjust as well. Uh, because what may be right weeks one through three could be completely wrong weeks four through seven, and then right again weeks eight through 11. So it's just this, you know, and that's what I love about it. You know, it's, you know, I think if you're approaching fantasy football from like a static point of view that, okay, this is what I need to do to succeed and I'm going to do this and follow, you need to be very dynamic and nimble and sort of kind of be able to adjust because the league is ever evolving and ever changing. And if you can't change with it, and evolve uh, and adjust with it. It, it I think it uh, puts you at a disadvantage. Yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, and I guess along with that, if we if we just zoom in of all the things that you could have done um, that, that you know would have really set you up to win this year, and we just think about drafting, and you you know you and I love to draft. Obviously, a lot of uh, high volume players. It's it's one of the best parts. Yeah. Grinding the waiver wire is is probably it's like it's like golf, like. You put, you drive for show, putt for dough. Like the waiver yeah. wire is probably with the, like putting, but man, driving is like the draft, right? Yeah. Like it's oh, so yeah, fun. Absolutely. And absolutely. It's awesome. Um, it's, it's And it's so interesting. So many different ways to do it. And I guess I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, like if we zoom in, we think about all those different strategies. You know, People talk about it constantly in the off season. Like should yeah. you go heavy running back? Should you go zero running back? Should you take one running back? And like all these different names, hero RB. And, you know, should you take a QB earlier, tight end early? It, it, I guess – from your, and you did a lot of drafts. I mean, yeah. fifty plus. What do you think worked best this year, or as you looked at the, you know, the, the winners of these big contests? What do you yeah. think worked for them, or even just individual leagues? What do you think was the most effective strategy? Honestly, I don't think there was necessarily one strategy that was better. Yeah. Than better. You know, you, you draft players that score points and that don't get injured. You know, mm-hmm. and if you're fortunate That's enough true. to kind of be able to like have them be consistent throughout the year, then you win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have gone zero RB and ended up with guys like Ridley and Hopkins and uh, a plethora of others, AJ Brown, you know, Michael Thomas earlier in the year. So, uh, and then even, you know, some of the guys that, you know, like the, um, you know, CD Lamb of the world, Ken Allen mm-hmm. was good this year, but was he really, you know, sort of, you know, this, you know, huge difference maker, you know, that's tough to say. And then I always ask, you know, for patience or for, uh, sorry, <laughs> for, uh, for, uh, for fantasy players who go zero RB, mm-hmm. how how long did you wait before you drafted a running back? And when you did that, you know, say it was round five or six that you started looking at running backs. Well, that means you, especially in some of the home leagues, you probably missed out on guys like Debo and Cup. 
So for me, you know, again, it really just kind of depends on the player because if you drafted Jonathan Taylor and, and Austin Eckler at the uh, or, or Najee Harris at the back end of the first round, you were very happy. And if you were able to get a, a Cooper Cup uh, and a Debo on that squad, you did amazing. And then, you know, rounded it out with the Mark Andrews. So I, I, I'm really right. not so much to, uh, you know, going zero RB or RB heavy. I like running backs. The reason that I like running backs, I like good running backs, I should say. You know, I don't like drafting running backs just to draft running backs. So if I'm sitting in the fifth or sixth round and it's, you know, Miles Gaskin and I don't, you know, if we kind of remember back to, you know, uh, you know, drafting and Brandon. Yeah, even, you know, even in retrospect, I'm, you know, still going to take probably Brandon Ayuk because I just didn't have a lot of confidence in a Gaskin. So I want good running back I'm confident in or that I want to take a chance on. Uh, but outside of that, uh, I just think, you know, yeah, it just comes down to to, to drafting uh, players that you feel confident in. Confident in. And uh, for me, a big thing is I don't necessarily focus so much on upside or, you know, the idea of, or the way that people talk about upside anyway. I focus more on having a high, consistent floor because any player, any given week can put up 20 plus points. Any player. Mm-hmm. You, you name me one player that, you know, you know, that is the uh, – you know, quote unquote, safe player with low upside, with a low, uh, you know, low ceiling. And I can point out and cherry pick weeks where they blew up. Uh, mm-hmm. And conversely, you know, someone like a, you know, who a McCole Hardman, who's everybody's darling that, you know, have a high upside and have this high, you know, uh, you know, you know, the uh, potential to really explode, you know, you know, injury or no injury. You know, you see a lot of low peaks. So I don't want to play that guessing game. Uh, too much can, you know, happen. So I try to minimize the variance in my play. But, uh, you know, kind of a long-winded answer of saying uh, draft who's going to score the most points. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, so so you would say that when you're drafting, you know, um, outside of all these strategies, one of the main things you think about is, uh, you know, probable number of touches per week, right? Yep. Like work Absolutely. that they're going to get, whether receiver or running back or tight end. Like, Yeah. And it's funny, you know, yeah, so – kind of bring up a, a, you know, you brought in, you know, some quote unquote analytics. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm not a big analytics person, you know, and and, and I say that meaning that uh, that's not part of my process, but that's not saying that I don't use it. You know, so I use guys like you, Dwayne McFarlane, or a number of other guys who do use analytics. And I like to marry the two approaches. Uh, but in the end, what I find uh, is that if you're really watching the games and you're really, you know, um, you know, you're, you're kind of in it day to day and you've been doing this for a few years and, and most of us have and you're a competitive person. Oftentimes, the analytics match up almost exactly what you're seeing. Yeah. So I don't need to know specifically how many touches per week a certain player is going to get. If I watch the game and I see that not only are they using them out of the backfield, they're using them on bubble screens. Uh, he's lining up wide a couple of times. There's enough there that I'm seeing where I can kind of, you know, come to the conclusion that this player is going to get touches, both carries and, you know, and potential targets uh, and receptions and, and, and will move up my board uh, as a result. And so I don't think the two are, you know, mutually exclusive. I think oftentimes they, you know, they're telling the same story just in a different way. Yeah. So if you look back, like and you, maybe you'd have to go and look at all the data to know the answer to this question. But just curious, because I, I agree with your with your statement that there is no right way to draft. There is not even a most effective strategy in some years. Certain strategies are going to be most effective based on how the board falls, probably. But but you can be successful with any of them. 
But if you look back at your drafts, do, would you say that one of them would would have been how you drafted mostly? I mentioned the draft where you you had the one tight end and then a bunch of backs and then you went yeah, like eight receivers in a row. I mean, did you have any sort of like, you know, thing you were trying out the most that you felt good about or, or was there not really? Yeah. So year in and year out, uh, especially with how the league is just sort of kind of move. We're seeing you know, a lot more three wide receiver sets, you know, four wide receiver sets at times. I find that, you know, finding that gem of a wide receiver in the mid to later rounds is a lot easier than finding the running back. And finding that gem of a running back oftentimes ends up being a handcuff or someone who just sort of kind of comes out of nowhere who's going into later rounds anyway. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes my approach, uh, unless there's a player that I just like, you know, love at value, you know, Davante Adams in the late first round, for example. Oftentimes my approach is really trying to get as many bell cow running backs as possible early on, typically three, and then attacking, you know, wide receiver from there. And I usually try to cheat on tight end. You know, I do mm-hmm. find that, you know, diamond in the rough. But so if there's a running back that I can identify in the third round, uh, that's typically, you know, m- you know, what'll be my approach. And then if the running backs in the first two rounds are guys that I'm just like not in on or guys that I'm going to fade, then that's when I'll, you know, pivot to the wide receiver. And for me, for someone who drafts uh, quite a few teams, obviously, I do want to, uh, you know, incorporate some diversification. Not to the point where I'm, you know, grabbing players just to say that I have a share. Uh, you know, these are still players that I want to believe in. But rather than, you know, okay, going Austin Eckler for, you know, ten times out of ten, mm-hmm. I'll say, okay, let me get some Tyreek Hill here. Let me get some Devonte, you know, some more Devonte Adams here. Let me take a stab at, uh, you know, at Kelsey, uh, and try and, you know, uh, mix it up a little bit from guys that I still think will produce, but may, you know, maybe goes away from that, you know, kind of, you know, people want to call it RB robust and. So for me this year, the third, the only really third round running back that I cared about was DeAndre Swift mm-hmm. uh, and everyone else was just sort of kind of a fade. So uh, many, many of my teams were, I'd probably say the majority of my teams, uh, it's hard to put a number on it, maybe, you know, say uh, anywhere from 40 to 50 percent, probably started off uh, with two RBs uh, and then a wide receiver. And then if I was able to get Swift and it was uh, three RBs and then, you know, wide receiver. I, I tried. It's hard to go four running backs in a row. It's not really a strategy I like to do. Uh, sometimes I'll, like you said, play around with it, but that, that that's pretty infrequent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one team that actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, did fairly well, just, uh, you know, you know uh, tapered off towards the end where I went uh, at Kelsey Kittle uh, and then I came back and chose the wrong tight end, I think. Uh, it was my third tight end. I can't recall. I had three, three or four tight ends on that team, but uh, instead of getting Mark Andrews, it was you know whoever was uh, mm-hmm. uh, who's after him, like Hawkinson or one of those. Yeah, guys. yeah, yeah, one of those guys. I, mean, I think it may have been Goddard or someone who yeah. I guess definitely wasn't like an early round. Tight Fant end. really but, killed me too in some leagues. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll play around from that standpoint, but that's more so because I'm in a high stakes and I'm looking for ways that okay, these are some guys that I can see, you know who can put up some monster three week stretches, uh, will get me to the tourney. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Very cool. Uh, as of now, uh, sort of early in the off season, as you think about 2022 drafts that, you know, that I'm sure will start and not too far away. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you're probably approach it the same way, like same general strategy, or did you feel anything happen this season that'll make you, you know, at least try some, some new strategies? Uh, I think for the most part, uh, my process will change just a tad bit. 
last year, I definitely took off uh, quite a bit of time as far as, you know, just kind of really removing myself from anything sports related, just, you know, to, you know, just kind of get away from a little bit, take a little bit of a breather. It can be a beat down, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think when I started drafting, I basically just dove right in. I did, you know, <laughs> very little prep work and just sort of kind of went right in. And I think that was definitely a huge mistake. Uh, high stake leagues are nothing to play with. Those guys are uh, just you know, everyone's just so sharp. So if you're not, you know, uh, you know, ready uh, to draft and you don't know every single player that's in that player pool, uh, you're probably going to uh, have some issues moving forward. So this year, I think I'm, you know, I'll still take a little bit of time off, but I'll still, you know, keep my ear, uh, you know, uh, to the streets, <laughs> keep, you know, keep my Twitter account uh, notifications on and just kind of follow the process. I don't think I'm, we're going to see the same, um, uh, influx of talent from the collegiate level uh, or things shaken up as much as we did last year. Uh, and so I'm hopeful that I feel a little bit more comfortable with uh, some of the systems and schemes and, and players in those schemes uh, than we did last year. But I'll probably, what, I'm, what I plan on doing is uh, doing a little bit more review of uh, some of the college guys that are coming out. So I feel just more comfortable with that uh, as opposed to just, you know, trying to do a, you know, a soft fade on them. And then I'm, I'm going to do a lot more best ball this year to start off uh, mm-hmm. and really follow the draft. So not that meaning, you know, when I draft, rather than just looking at my team and trying to construct the best team, you know, I'll earn some, you know, cheapy best balls and I'll just follow the draft and see where players are going. Uh, players that I, you know, didn't necessarily think should be going that high. Go back and take a look and try and do, you know, mm. my formal assessment players that are going a little bit later that I think are high go back and then players that I just like, you know, didn't even think about or players that, you know, I'm like, I would never draft that guy this year. I think I'm going to go back and really take a deep dive in. I, w- I want to really have a good baseline uh, for my, you know, rankings uh, going into the draft season. And I want to stick with them. Mm. It's tough. There's so much out there now when it comes to just fantasy uh, uh analysis and, and articles and projections and, you know, takes, uh, you know, it's, it's it, the field is, uh, there's just so much information. And so groupthink and, and uh, you know, having, you know, some strong opinions uh, changed and altered, you know, sometimes, yes, it's a good thing, but sometimes, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it can hurt you. And so I, I want to have that and I want to cement it in stone for the most part unless there's something that comes along that really, really changes my belief. You know, a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who I, I can recall and remember being on a podcast and they asked, you know, what, you know, who, who's going to stick into your top three. And I mentioned him as one. Hmm. And, you know, by the end of the off season, he, I, at that point, I uh, was taking him, you know, in the, in the mid to later, you know, or actually not even the mid round, the first round, the later first round, you know, uh, the late first round. So I, I think I want to set in on that process now. Uh, and then when I draft, I'm just going to try to almost erase whatever ADP is. Right, man. That is always the goal, man. I, I'm going to erase it and I'm just going to, you know, and and ideally set my own ADP and then just go off of that. And then that way I can hopefully try to avoid the bias. Cause in the end, does it really matter where you took a player, you know, the third or fourth round? If he hits, it doesn't. If he hits, you're golden. Exactly. You know? Oh, uh, so man, that, I got some I, in a couple leagues where I took Cup ahead of Woods. You know, I got a yeah. lot of like, "Oh, what are you doing?" That kind of thing. And at the end, yeah. you're like, "I hit that one." Now, and then I remember, like you're saying, uh, I 
had a few of those drafts and then later drafts i took woods ahead of cut now some of that was like you know trying to diversify like you're saying but if i would just have stuck with my with Mm -hmm. my initial rankings it would have been a lot better Uh, and sometimes you know your rankings don't work out sometimes your rankings are wrong and you take the the guy you like and you miss you know but i'd rather have that than than like you're saying listen to group things that's really good yeah why play the game uh you know, based off of someone else's tune, you right. know, if you're going to play the game, like, and you, and you're really in, especially if you're doing high stakes, like, you know, the reason we play is because we want to prove that we're right. We're mm-hmm. the most right anyway. Right. That's we play. So, you know, um, I think, you know, this year, you know, kind of moving this forward this year, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, uh, not go overboard with it. You know, I, I never want to have a hundred percent of one player because you can't, you can't predict injuries, but uh, I'm probably going to be a little bit more bullish on guys that I'm high on and, and, and really try and, you know, be careful with how I diversify. Yeah, that's really good. It's interesting. You, you, you mentioned the, the best ball thing. Well, I had a question later on that, you know, uh, basically how do you, how do you get your rankings in, in order so that you're ready to draft? And you kind of answer that question. And I know that you'll do a lot of work as far as looking at, studying guys and looking at the stats and, and looking at, you know, anticipated targets and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting that best ball drafting I, I, um, really prepares you and gives you a feel for the board. I, I find that for me, it's like, I'm almost, I don't like best ball. So I'm almost doing the same thing, but with high stakes drafts. And then I end up with some of them. I like some of them. I don't, but I get a quick feel for the draft board. Um, some of sometimes by making some really stupid mistakes, but yeah. it really gives you that feel. Yeah, it's a it's a good way. I mean, there's you know people talk about mock drafts and there's you know there's almost no value to those if there's no yeah. skin of the game. So at yeah. least at least with best ball you're getting a little skin of the game. Even if the, the board might be a little different based on best ball, so that's interesting. Um, do you think uh, qu- a question for you here, just uh, shifting gears, when you're thinking about your rosters and in, in the leagues, what do you think is the most important? Do you think it's the most important to have a fully optimized, like the best starting lineup you can, and then you'll kind of patch together a bench as you go with the waiver wire? Or do, would you rather, coming coming out of a draft, have a crazy deep roster at, at back and receiver, like you know five or six of each, preferably, that you could start in a given week? What, what would be your preference? Yes, yeah, such a tough question to answer. I would I would probably say just based on my style of drafting, if I just kind of you know, uh, looking in at those draft boards, you know, my approach is probably, you know, really trying to go for the gusto, uh, really guys that can produce week in and week out guys that I feel comfortable with starting almost right away or guys that I have just, you know, a certain feeling about that I think they can really break out. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, um, unless it's like a, a need on that specific team, that's when I'm, you know, making the pivot for, towards okay you know i waited a tight end you know i got my safe tight end or you know guy who can kind of you know who i can feel comfortable starting week one let me go ahead and grab that that you know that that tight end that could potentially break out in the later rounds or let me now pivot towards these high handcuff running backs uh but and that and that's sort of how i approach it as opposed to having a deep bench of players that you know, you can slot, you know, the bi-week feelings. Uh, just because my thought process is even with a 20, uh, 20 man, uh, uh, you know, team uh, or roster, you can still find bi-week feelings on the waiver wire mm-hmm. uh, almost constantly, you know, almost always. Uh, you know, again, 
bringing up Amon Ross St. Brown or Alan Lazard. These guys are, you know, were on the waivers for mm-hmm. anyone to have at any point uh, from, you know, week 10 on. So those guys, you know, I, I try to leave it to guys who can really be difference makers uh, on the roster because if something does happen, those are the guys that where people, you know, end up, uh, you know, basically, you know, unloading their bank uh, and uh, unloading mm-hmm. all their fab to try and acquire these guys. So I'd rather have those guys on my team uh, and, and, and save the money. Uh, from that Interesting. So you're saying you'd rather um, a bench that has high upside that may not be able to play right away because you could get a guy you can plug in when needed yeah. and, and keep your your starting roster as as awesome as you can get it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, typically, like my starting roster is fairly thin. Like, you know, I have my starters, and then I may have like one or two guys who can like, if an injury happens, I can put in. Otherwise, I got to go to the waivers. Mm-hmm. And I usually have a fair amount of these uh, backup handcuff running backs uh, that are uh, readily available. And I also like to try to have two quarterbacks, and I've been doing that for three or four years. I remember mm-hmm. when I first started drafting. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can just remember some of the things in the chat rooms about this guy taking two quarterbacks. Why? It's like this is the position that scores the most points. <laughs> no. Right. Like, and I, you know, and I am someone who likes to play the weekly game. Like I don't necessarily feel like I have to start, you know, these quote unquote studs on a week in and week out basis. Not to mention, you know, sometimes just what we think is going to happen does not happen, and you like to have some of those guys. Uh, available to you and then obviously with covid uh yeah most of us are kind of have a backup plan now yeah it became very important this year yeah Yeah. i agree with that strategy i mean sometimes i've taken three to me it's all about who falls i mean if someone's gonna sit there and leave joe burrow in the 15th round i'll just take him i'm not gonna let you have him so yeah exactly Very cool. Uh, how about how about blind bidding? And I, a lot of leagues don't have it, but in, in you know you know a lot of these FFPC and you know, other high stakes leagues, a lot of even home leagues are going to blind bidding now. What do you think is the the best way to do that? I've I've heard some interesting discussions on Twitter about you know almost all the difference makers being you know grabbed up early, and so you should spend your money early. And some people you know say no, you got to save it because everybody runs out and you have yeah. it at the end. What do you think is the best strategy there? Yeah, I mean, it depends on your approach. If you're someone who believes in analytics, then you probably want to spend most of it early because that's you know you're going to be able to you get the uh, greatest return on your on your investment mm-hmm. and uh, on your fab dollars uh, the earlier you spend it because you have more weeks obviously to spend it. Uh, I, I really think the answer, and this is kind of how I approach life in general, uh, it, it's really just case dependent. It depends on like the league that you're in, the format that you're in. You know, how are other guys spending fabs? You know, mm-hmm. if it's a home league and you've been in it for a few years, you probably have a good sense of like how, you know, you know how people spend money. Uh, I'm in a, a home league that really is, you know, what got me into fantasy in general. And these guys are ruthless. They will, they will, they they will spend a, a good majority of their fab just in spite of you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it just kind of depends. Uh, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive, uh, especially if my team is in need of something. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It depends on the team, right? Yeah. Like, you know, for instance, uh, you know, a good example was uh, Michael Thomas. Uh, so the teams that I drafted Michael Thomas on, I, you know, I spent a good chunk of fab uh, trying to get Callaway. Uh, and obviously that was a clear miss, but the potential was still there. And I think I'd probably make that decision more oftentimes than not. 
mm -hmm. uh, try and replace that starter that I lost that third round grade. Uh, but I, you know, I don't think you can argue with someone who, uh, you know, who wants to, you know, especially if it's someone where it's a season in the injury and it's a clear backup, obviously, you know, you, you may go uh, fairly hard there. Uh, the tough thing with, you know, some leagues like FFPC, you have to have money to be able to pick a player off of waiting. Right. So if you use all of your fab, that can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and then again, you know, obviously NFL injuries happen on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. Uh, but COVID, you have to, you know, keep your head on a swivel. So there was a, you know, I definitely had some teams where I did not manage my fab as well as I should have. And then I had some teams where like I didn't manage my fab as well as I should have. But it ended up paying out because the guys that I would have dropped ended up, you know, <laughs> they came <laughs> back around. Exactly. Yeah. So one of those things, you know, you may you may just kind of want to look at, you know, you know, take all your teams, look at the end results, you know, do kind of a self-assessment and try and come to your own conclusion based off of that. But it really is league dependent. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've thought about with it is like, it, do I have a roster that's dominating? Um, mm -hmm. If so, like I'm in first place, I'm going to save the fab mm -hmm. and um, just because I don't need to spend it right now. Yeah. And then I end up maybe with a, with a dominant team with the most fab at the end, and I can add somebody late. I mean, at the same time, you could make the argument, if you, if you got Elijah Mitchell just sitting there, you grab him, yeah. and then the other guys can't grab him. So either yeah. way, you know, there's potential pros and cons. But and um, key, Yeah, I think the key to it, too, is, uh, you know, stay ready. Hashtag stay ready. It's like, you know, that's our, like, that's our motto uh, to where, you know, you're picking these guys up before – the masses before they become the hot thing, before people realize with certainty that uh, they are worth a roster spot. Uh, you know, someone like Cordell Patterson, you know, again, you know, even after week one was just there available for a dollar, two dollar bid. So some of these guys, if you can just try to pick up well in advance or a week before or a week ahead. Uh, another great example was uh, when Kareem Hunt went down for the first time, you know, right. uh, we went through and we just added Dearness Johnson. Just as for a dollar. Yes, for a dollar. Yeah. And so I think even on you know my good teams, I, I probably do I probably will add or drop a player almost on every single team. It's rare, you know, uh, that I'm not like adding or dropping someone because I'm just looking at my team and I'm just going through like, you know, is there somebody on waivers that could potentially help me out more? Then let me grab them, you know, especially if I can get them for cheap right now. Yeah. And that's another interesting thing. I was just going to mention, you know, something related to that. And then you say that I, I like the churning the roster idea. I like always, you know, grinding and that's how I'm wired too. I want to, I want to pick that guy up before anyone else gets him, before anyone else knows he's even there. And then I've, you know, I got him for free. I love all that. My biggest struggle with it, especially this year, as you were mentioned earlier, some of these guys who, you know, sucked and then they came on. And, you know, if if I'd been patient with Amon Ra, I mean, I had Amon Ra in a bunch of leagues in the yeah. draft. I'm in the 16th, 17th round, and it's hard, to, it's hard to keep a rookie, you know, for eight weeks when he's putting up nothing. But some, like you were saying, trusting your process, sometimes I feel like, man, if I just would have trusted and been patient with this guy, uh, he would have hit, and it could have been huge. But then you feel like I'm just, sit, I'm just doing nothing. I'm sitting on my hands when I could be picking these players up. So it's a really tough balance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, in that particular example, I would not fault you, you know, whatsoever. You had eight weeks of tape, eight weeks of data. Uh, you know, at some point you just got to move on. You know, it's funny, these players that we talk about uh, that we may be high on and that everyone calls a bust, at some point you're going to be right. 
at some point a player is going to go off in a given game and you're going right. to say, see, that's why I drafted him. The question, though, I mean, and the question you have to answer, I think that we have to like ask ourselves or, that we have to, like, or the uh, process that we have to sort of kind of go through is, like you said, is it worth holding on to this guy to see if that will eventually happen? How long do we wait? And there, there's a lot in play there in terms of what's available, how your team is doing, you know, uh, you know how, how deep your bench is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's the fun part of fantasy. Uh, and that's the part, you know, where it's going to be hard to be 100%. You know, if drafting is difficult, managing your roster, especially when it's a deep bench league, has got to be, you know, next level above that, you know. Mm-hmm deciding on guys like this what do you do with them yeah yeah and it is <laughs> and it's a it's a hard game and that's what makes it fun so yeah um so as far as like uh, again zooming out just a couple more questions here for you um if you if you think of the season as a whole and maybe some of your failures often teach us more than successes uh, but just th- thinking about like it, maybe strategically or you know how you approach the season that you feel like ah, I'm going to, I'm going to do that differently next year. You kind of mentioned it with the drafting, just jumping in um, and not maybe um, getting your rankings real down. Was there anything else that you think of that, you know, you could be help, helpful to our listeners. Like I'm going to remember this. I'm going to, I'm going to learn this and, and hold it going forward. Yeah. And this is something that I think is tough and, I, and I'm trying to work on and I can definitely uh, improve quite a bit on, uh, you know, we talk about the idea of the ambiguous backfields, the running backs. Uh, and I have a tendency to really just sort of gravitate towards one of those guys and just want to go all in, you know? Mm. Uh, and it's not just running backs, it's wide receivers as well. We saw the cup woods. We saw the Debo Ayuk. Uh, we're going to go back and forth with that. But what I need to do better is unless I feel very, very strongly, and there are situations where I do, and I'm okay if I miss, if I feel strongly, but if I don't feel strongly, like I know, I mean, I mean, maybe some people. I didn't feel strongly Woods versus Cup, but eventually mm-hmm. my mind took me to Woods because it had to rationalize. You know, it had mm-hmm. to sort of kind of think in ones and zeros. It was like binary: got to go with this or got to go with that. As right. opposed to just thinking that there's a, it's a spectrum. Like both of these guys could succeed, or Cup could succeed, or Woods could get hurt. And so, and that was an easy to me an easy situation in retrospect to look back on and say, you know what? Why did I not have as much goods as I did Robert Woods? And the same thing, uh, a big one, a very, very big one was the Tampa Bay running backs backfield. Oh, you know, yeah. Oof. Killed yeah. me. And it took me a while to kind of get to the, the point where I, where I was in on that backfield. I didn't know who it was going to be, but I wanted the running back that was going to succeed in that backfield. And for whatever reason, my mind took me to Ronald Jones because, of, you know, as a pure runner. Right. <laughs> and all the stuff on Twitter. He's a way better runner. It's like, well, yeah, exactly. But obviously, you know, was that a sure thing? Of course not. I mean, how many times do we see him bench? How many times do we see him at difficulty right. know, pick, picking up the blitz? And then the most obvious is that Brady loves throwing to his running backs and he's not a good, you know, mm-hmm. he's not good with his hands. Right. And it was one of those things I wanted it to be him uh, because it's right. kind of what my mind took it. And I had zero for net. And to me, like, you know, you mentioned like I remember my faults, my uh, you know uh, where I went wrong. Uh, you know, I remember all of those a lot more so than I do like the successes. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to tell you like which teams succeed, but I can give you specific examples of like where I failed. So my failures like 
they stick in my mind, you know, they're just like burned and etched into my brain. Uh, and that, you know, not having any Ford net to me was just, you know, it was just egregious, uh, was just malpractice. It was, you know, you know all of that. So that's something I'm going to be working on uh, this week because th those, those backfields, you know, those situations, that's where you can, you know, that's where you can like, you know, get a leg up on the field. And if yeah. you're not sure, just hedge your bets. That's where I want to diversify. So uh, right. that's, that's definitely what I want to work on. Yeah. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, how do you, how do you have these rankings and then, you know, dra not draft the same team every time yeah. and it, that, that balance, just like you're talking about with the waiver wire, that balance is the hardest part of drafting, you know, where it's like, I, I want to draft according to these beliefs and these rankings. I know why I feel this way. And I want to, I want to trust it. In other words, not skip out on Jonathan Taylor at 112 when I had him at the third ranked player, just mm -hmm. because I need to diversify. But if I have too much of him, my season's going to go down in flames because uh, I had, you know, he got hurt and I had 80% ownership. I mean, the, so the only players that, you know, I had way too high ownership this season were guys I got late, like Elijah Moore, guys that I loved. And, and even when I was right, I probably should have diversified more because I was taking him over guys that I could have gotten in that same range that also had, had better years because they weren't hurt or whatever. Um, so it, it's hard. Like you look back and like, oh, I was right about that player, uh, but it still hurt me to be too heavy. And that's where it's like it's such a hard balance because you want to trust your gut. Um, but, you, yeah, you got to find a way. To, and, and there's people listening that just have one or two leagues. And so for them, just draft the players you like. You know, it's an easy call. Go with your rankings every time. But, yeah, for, for higher uh, higher volume, you got to diversify. So just one more question for you uh, before we get out of here. Uh, just if you zoom out, think about fantasy football from a really wide lens, all the things that go into, you know, making you a successful fantasy player over the years. Um, what would you say if a listener is listening to you and saying, like, I want to be like a Beeb, I want to take home a trophy. You know, I don't even care about the 500 grand. I don't even want it. I just want the trophy. No, I'm sure they want the money. But, you know, how do I become a player like a Beeb who can um, – you know, just be consistently good. What would you say is the most important thing for them to become dominant? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, your, 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 your sentence from a couple of, you know, your, your last sentence or whatever, the last comment that you made about, you know, I don't care about the money. Uh, I want the trophy. I want to be the best. I mean, it really starts with that. I mean, obviously we care about the money, but uh, I mean, God, you know, being number one overall, uh, being able to, you know, enter a contest and say, I won this. I'm the best fantasy player. Uh, there's there's no feeling like it. I mean, there's like that. That is just such an awesome feeling, and it just kind of comes from a competitive nature. And I think most of us that play fantasy football, we have that competitive spirit. So if you have that, you're already you know you're already on your way. Uh, I think obviously you got to love football because if you're not watching the games, if you're reliant on everyone else's analysis and articles and takes and rankings, uh, then you can only be as good as the field. Right. Uh, so there's just so much that you get from watching it. So, you know, there's, you know, some, some, it's so much nuance, uh, you know, in terms of watching the entire game. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, you know, and it just sort of kind of adds on itself, you know, uh, you, you take a, a team and, you know, you know, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, you know, team that's been consistent in the way they've approached things for a period of years, it makes it a lot easier to draft a Najee Harris in the first round and not think twice about it because you know how they've handled running backs throughout this period. 
you know Tomlin's thought process when it comes to a bell cow running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've seen, you know, Ben Roethlisberger sort of kind of progress and how he's incorporated the running back in his. So, you know, but just like watching it, you know, year after year after year, uh, player after player after player and, you know, coaches and et cetera, there are certain things that just don't show up in analytics, but they can help you uh, as, you know, whether it's drafting, start sits or waiver wire ads. So watching film, watching as much football as you can, I think is uh, key uh, and important. Uh, and then just, you know, don't be afraid to change with the game. You know, uh, don't be afraid to change up your approach. Uh, don't be afraid afraid to bring in new ideas, uh, to look at uh, different, you know, forms of analytics uh, different ways uh, and ideas of, uh, of approaching drafting or waivers or, or anything uh, when it comes to this. Because, you know, like you, br- you know, brought up before, this game changes. I mean, it changes in season. You know, I always mm-hmm. – I mean, every time – I bring this up every year with anyone I talk that will listen, <laughs> that I talk – when I talk fantasy football, I just approach the season in quarters. Because I know what happens the first four weeks is going to change the next four weeks. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, you know, teams getting taped. Part of that is some coaches just – you know, being proactive, like they have tape on us, let's change this. And then some of it's just human nature. You you, you went 0-4, you know, you're, you're feeling great. You know, this other team is, you know, 1-3. They're hungry for a win, you know. So there's certain – so, team, you know, things change, and you just – you got to be able to, you know, take what you thought or what you saw week one and then either make a pivot or readjust, uh, reassess, you know, moving forward. So – uh, constantly, you know, you know, hashtag stay ready. Uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, we talked about, you know, churning the roster, you know, when you look at your roster, you should constantly be thinking about how can I make this better? Literally with each waiver wire ad, is this roster as good as it can be? If it's not, what do I need to do? You know, what can I do to make this roster better? Uh, and I think, uh, those are sort of kind of like, I think the main things that I, that, you know, or the main ways that I approach, but, Really, you know, if you have the passion for it, if you have the time, if you got the money, <laughs> you know, to get in some of these uh, higher stake leagues, uh, even some of that is like hard for me to swallow, even after the uh, big wins. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, I think it all starts with that. If you're competitive, you know, you'll find your way. And every we all have different processes. I'm a strong believer there's multiple ways to win. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it just got you just have to start from somewhere. Yeah, those are great words, man. I, I really like the, the the thing about loving football, and I think that's something a lot of people miss, especially when you're grinding data and and looking at numbers and like what what do you see on the field, you know? And I didn't play football competitively myself, but I stink and love it. I love mm-hmm. watching it. I love the nuances of the game and what the line play and all that stuff. And and I agree when I when I see a player going off, it's like uh, or, or running excellent routes or yeah. you know finding holes, a running back with excellent vision or burst. You know, I remember watching tape on rookies and I'd love to get you my, my rookie thoughts after I watched the tape, but yeah. uh, you know, Todd, I see Todd Gurley running in yeah. college and I'll never forget that. Like, Oh my gosh. Like the guy just did not look like a college player. He was a man among boys, you know, and, and I tried to get him everywhere I could. You can just tell if you know football. So yeah, if you're, if you're just uh, kind of coming up, watch as much football as you can. That's great advice. Abib, thank you so much for coming on with us. It was a real privilege chatting with you. Uh, we're going to wrap up for today. Uh, we're, uh, be on the lookout if you're listening here for our next show. We're going to chat with another successful player and analyst, Heath Cummings from CBS. He'll be next. 
Um, make sure you subscribe to the show so you get updated when the next one of the expert series comes out. Before I sign off, please consider leaving a rating review for the podcast. Please spread the word on Twitter to your friends or whoever. Um, please consider supporting the podcast over at Anchor. The link for that is in the podcast details. That's it. I appreciate you listening. Have a great night. Thanks, Adi. Thank you. Thank you.